This afternoon, we are examining the doctrine of the Lord's Supper and confessing the Belgic Confession, Article 35. However, this is very long, so let me read this for you. And please read along. We believe and confess that our blessed Savior Jesus Christ has established the sacred sacrament of a supper so that he would nourish in it and sustain those whom he has already regenerated and planted into his family, namely the church. Truly those who have been regenerated have two lives inside themselves, one that is carnal and transitory that they have carried with them from their first birth, and this one is common to all people, the other is holy and heavenly, which is given to them in that second birth, which comes from the word of the gospel in union with the body of Christ. And this life is particular to the elect of God alone. Just as God certainly instituted earthly and material bread suitable for the preservation of this carnal and terrestrial life, which is as common to all as life itself, so too has God sent his life-giving bread, which is descended from heaven, which is particular to the faithful, namely, namely Jesus Christ. He nourishes and sustains the spiritual life of the faithful when he is eaten, that is, applied and received by the Spirit through faith. Moreover, so that Christ would form or depict this holy and celestial bed for us, he has established terrestrial and visible bread and wine in the sacrament of his body and blood. He truly witnesses to us in these things. As we truly accept and hold of the sacrament in our hands and eat it with our mouths, from where this life of ours is afterwards sustained, so also truly, for the maintaining of the spiritual life in us, we receive the true body and blood of Christ our only Savior in our souls by faith, which is a counterpart to the hand and mouth of our soul. Truly, it is most certain that Christ did not so anxiously entrust his sacrament to us without reason, as he actually accomplishes in us whatever he himself represents to us in his sacred signs. Although the manner itself exceeds our natural capacity, nor can it be perceived in any of this, because clearly all the operations of the Holy Spirit are hidden and incomprehensible. Moreover, we certainly do not err in saying that that which is eaten is a very most natural body of Christ, and that that which is drunk is his true blood, but the instrument or medium through which we eat and drink these is not the mouth of the body, but our spirit itself, and that through faith. And so Christ always resides at the right hand of the Father in heaven, but this does not, therefore, in the least, keep him from communicating himself to us through faith. Again, the supper is a meal of the Spirit, in the midst of whom Christ brings himself forth to us for partaking with all his works, and makes it so that in this, just as that which we enjoy is the very self, so too, we, so too do we enjoy the merits of his suffering and death. For he nourishes, reinforces, and consoles our miserable, afflicted souls that are destitute of all consolation by the eating of his very own flesh. Likewise, he sustains and recreates them by the drinking of his blood. In addition, although the sacraments are joined to the signified things themselves, both of those things, nevertheless, are not received by all. Indeed, the evil person certainly receives the sacrament to his own damnation, but he does not receive the thing or truth of the sacrament. For example, Judas and Simon Magnus indeed both received the sacrament, but truly not in the least Christ himself who is signified in it, for he is communicated to believers alone. Finally, 
We communicate with the sacred sacrament in the meeting of the people of God with consummate humility and reverence, piously celebrating the memory of the death of Christ our Savior with acts of gratitude, and they are publicly declaring the confession of faith and of the Christian religion. And so no one who has not first examined his very self ought to bring himself to this table, lest eating from this bread or drinking from this cup, he eats and drinks judgment and damnation upon his very self. Again, by the use of the sacrament, the most passionate love toward God himself and towards neighbor is inflamed in us. And so, indeed, we rightly reject as true profanity all the mockery and damnable fabrications of people, which they have added to and mixed among the sacraments, and we affirm that we ought to be content with that entire pious order and rite that Christ and the apostles have handed over to us. And we ought to speak of the same mysteries in the way in which they have also spoken of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider the mystery of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper this afternoon, we pray that you would help us to understand this rightly from your word. And as always, we pray that you would convict us of sin through the preaching of the law and convict us of eternal life and comfort in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 17 through 34, that is found on page 958 of your Pew Bibles. Once again, the scripture reading is found on page 958. We hear from God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Brothers and sisters, indeed, this is the holy word of God. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned 
along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. The Word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. We find ourselves in the midst of a series on what is the Reformed faith. And this is a subsection on the proper administration of the sacraments. We covered baptism uh, last week. This week, part 8, we cover uh, the Lord's Supper. And we'll do three things in the sermon. First, we'll understand the different major views of the Lord's Supper. Then second, we'll understand the Reformed view of the Lord's Supper, emphasizing what we mean by real presence or spiritual presence. And then third, we'll understand the effects of the proper administration of the Lord's Supper. So we begin first with the different views of the Lord's Supper. And there are four major views that we can discern. This is true in church history and even today as we look around at different churches. Uh, The first is the Roman Catholic view. The second is the Lutheran view. The third is the Zwinglian view, or we could say the general uh, evangelical or baptistic view. And the fourth is the Reformed view. In the first view, the Roman Catholic view, the Catholic Church believes that when the priest consecrates the sacraments, so uh, there is a prayer, there is a lifting of the cup, There are other sorts of things that the Roman Catholic priests do. They they believe when they do that, that the uh, bread and the wine actually become the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. So the bread turns into the body of Christ and the wine turns into the blood of Christ, literally. This view is called transubstantiation. They're transformed. The elements are transformed. Of course, they have a very sophisticated argument as to why you can't see that change. But they would say, even though it still looks like bread and wine, it is literally the body and bread of Christ. And so, that being the case, whoever comes up front to participate in the supper in the Roman Catholic Church, they believe they receive the thing that is not just signified, but in that meal. That you are literally chewing on the body of Christ and drinking his blood. And so that is why, for instance, if they drop any crumbs, they're very careful to pick up the crumbs, they dispose of all the wine and the bread very carefully because that literally becomes the body and blood of Christ. There's much more to say. Um, And again, the Roman Catholic Church has very sophisticated theologians and a history of this view, which is really didn't appear until I think the Fourth Lateran Council in, in the 12th century, but uh, nevertheless, they do. This is the oversimplification. Let me just say that. So that's that's the first view, the Roman Catholic view. The second view is close to it. It's the Lutheran view of the supper. Their view is called local presence. That is, they believe that Jesus Christ's literal body and blood is in the bread and in the wine. And so they they their view is called consubstantiation. So Christ's literal body and blood is in with between the elements of the bread and the wine. So they say, no, the elements don't actually change into the body and blood of Christ, but uh, during the meal, uh, Christ's real physical body is in the bread and in the wine. And so like the Catholic Church, they believe that even those who are non-Christians that don't believe, if they come up to participate in the sacrament, 
they will receive the literal body and blood of Christ. They will chew on his flesh and really drink his blood. So it's a close view to the Roman Catholics, but they do avoid the error of the, the elements actually turn into the body and blood of Christ. And along with the Catholic Church, I should add, they believe there's a re-sacrificing going on in the ceremony. The Lutherans don't believe that. So the Lutherans believe in what's called local presence, and we would commend them for uh, recognizing the presence of Christ, but we would, we would haggle over the mode. The third view is called the Zwinglian view, or the uh, we could call it the Baptistic view, or general evangelical view of the sacrament. Uh, this view today is a view that in the Lord's Supper there's, there's no presence of Christ in the meal. Rather, you're just remembering uh, what Jesus did for you when you participate in communion. Now, uh, many people will go back to Zwingli, and to be fair to him, uh, early Zwingli, at least, uh, had the view that Christ was somehow present to the faith of the participant. But he emphasized uh, faith so much, it eclipsed the idea of presence. So regardless of what Zwingli thought at one time, his later view, at least, and views today are that when you participate in the Lord's Supper, you're just remembering what Jesus did for you on the cross. Most evangelical Christians have that view today. Uh, The fourth view, which we would argue, is the biblical view, is the Reformed view of the Supper. Our view, we argue that Christ is truly present in the meal. We talk about real presence. But Jesus is not physically present in the meal. Rather, he is spiritually present in the meal. And that doesn't mean that somehow his spirit is in the bread or in the wine. We believe that when you participate in the meal, that actually by the power of the Holy Spirit, also called the Spirit of Christ, he communicates his crucified body and shed blood to you, or his true body and true blood. So we believe that only worthy participants, that is those who have true faith, receive the things signified. So we believe the bread signifies the body of Christ and the wine signifies the blood of Christ and those things are really communicated to you as you have true faith. So we would disagree with the Catholics and the Lutherans that say anybody who participates in the meal receives the things signified. We say no. Only those who have true faith that rightly uh, view the sacrament receive the things signified. That is the true body and blood of, of Jesus. And I'll flesh that out in just a minute with uh, our view of real presence, but let me just give you a simple, de- simple uh, definition. So when we say the Lord's Supper, we say, in the Lord's Supper, Jesus feeds me with his true body and true blood by the Holy Spirit through true faith. Okay, that's a simple definition that is uh, sort of distilling what the Heidelberg says in the Belgic. But in the Lord's Supper... Jesus feeds me with his true body and true blood by the power of the Holy Spirit through true faith. So the Spirit of God has to act to communicate the body and blood of Christ to us and we have to have true faith. When that happens, the thing signified and promised is really conferred. That is, the true body and blood of Christ. So those are the different views. Our view, of course, is the Reformed view. And really... uh, For most of us, the burden of argumentation is to prove from the scriptures that Jesus is spiritually present in the supper. 
That is that the Lord's Supper is much more than just remembering what Jesus did for us. It's that. But it's also a real spiritual meal in which you actually grow in your faith. And as the Heidelberg 76 says, you are more and more united with Jesus. That is, your spiritual union with him is intensified or deepened. So we go to our passage. Does Paul really say this? Does Paul say that all the stuff that we're saying really goes on in the Lord's Supper? And we say yes. We understand this in three movements. Uh, First of all, in verses 17 through 22, Paul is angry with the Corinthians because they are treating the Lord's Supper like it is what? An ordinary meal. And so it's interesting. Sometimes we'll say, People say, well, they're in trouble because they're eating too much and drinking too much. I mean, they're coming to the Lord's Supper and getting drunk. So an argument, by the way, for the use of wine in the the sacrament. But they'll say that's really the issue. And we would agree, Paul's mad at them for being gluttonous. But also, why is he mad with them? Because they're treating it like an ordinary meal. And what's he saying? It's a sacred meal. Christ is really present by his spirit there. So that's the first, first thing that we need to understand. But then secondly, in verses 23 through 26, notice that Paul uh, mentions the words of institution that Christ gave his disciples in the church on the night before his crucifixion. Notice the emphasis here. The Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said what? This is my body which is for you. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So as we mentioned last week, when we had the sermon on the sacraments, this is sacramental language. Jesus doesn't mean, when he holds up the broken bread, this is my physical body. He doesn't mean that it just represents my body. He says, this is my body. And so that's where we get this idea that when we partake of the bread and the wine, that we are partaking of Christ, not literally as in this physical body, but spiritually. So Paul uses, uh, repeats the words of Christ here, uh, words that are sacramental. Christ is present in this meal. And so we see, though, uh, how the elements are signs and seals. Again, going back to our definition of a sacrament. A sacrament is a sign and seal of what Christ has done for us. What is the sign here? It's the bread and the wine. Uh, they are also seals. They, they uh, confer what is promised as it is received by faith. What is the signified thing? It is the body, the true body and blood of Christ. So first... Paul is angry here because they're treating a sacred meal like it's common. And then second, he, Paul is saying, look, there is real presence here in terms of the Lord's words. But then further, verses 27 through 30 argue very directly for what we would call real presence or spiritual, the spiritual presence of Christ. We say, well, how so? Well, notice verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Think of that. Whoever eats unworthily will profane the body and blood of the Lord. Well, how can you do that when you just see bread and wine down here? 
because Christ is present. His body, His blood, spiritually speaking, are present. You can't profane something that isn't there. And so this is a very strong argument for the real presence of Christ in the meal. But then he goes on. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, which involves not only understanding, you know, do we, do we come re- repenting of our sins, but also do we understand that what is going on in the meal. Then he continues. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that is the body of Christ, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Again, a very strong proof that that Paul is talking here about spiritual presence, the real presence of Christ. What is the uh, uh, conclusion or the results of those who do drink unworthily? That is why, verse 30, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Why were people dying, some weak, some ill? Because they did not discern rightly. Because they did not understand that this was a sacred meal. And God judged them for it. Hence, Paul asks, if we judged ourselves, truly, we would not be judged. In other words, if we came repenting, if we came, underst- if we came understanding real presence and the church administered the sacrament rightly, you would not be judged by God. Backing up to the prior verse, that is why they are judged. Much more to say, but in a short sermon, it's very clear here that, that it's more than just you know grape juice and crackers and remembering what Jesus did for you. It is remembering what Jesus did for you, but it's also a, a real direct experience by the power of the Holy Spirit of the true body and blood of Christ. So Paul, backing up, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 17, says these stunning words. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. To eat the bread and drink the wine is a participation in the body and blood of Christ. Well, finally, under this uh, section of understanding the Reformed view, we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, this business about fencing the table. Now, this causes all sorts of fits of unbelief. Uh, Understandably, when people come to our church or other Reformed churches, or for that matter, Lutheran churches, when the church says, you may participate only under these conditions, that you are a member of a certain type of church that they consider to be true. And of course, this causes problems because people say, well, I can participate in this church. I'm a Christian. Why can't I participate in the Lord's Supper? Well, our argument here is very much rooted in this greater section of 1 Corinthians, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There, Paul essentially argues that one is admitted into the church by the sacraments. Uh, Of course, we understand, he doesn't mention it here, but that the sacrament of baptism, that is the entrance right into the church. Um, And we, we get to that conclusion because Paul is saying in this passage that those who are immoral, that is, those who are in unchecked sin, are excommunicated from the church. He says, boot them out, hand them over to Satan so they may be saved in the last day. That is, come to their senses if they are God's elect by excommunicating them when they're in open rebellion against God. So the argument is this. 
if the church has the power to excommunicate, then the church also has the power and the authority by the keys of the kingdom of heaven to commune in the first place. In other words, what business does Paul have saying to this particular true visible church that you should excommunicate somebody if you didn't commune them in the first place? So what this argues for, going back to Matthew 16, 18 and John 20, is the keys of the kingdom of heaven by which you loose and bind. You loose people uh, into the church and you bind them outside of the church. So the church controls under the authority of Christ who comes into the church and who can be communed or who can't be communed. And so it's not just for open rebellion against God. It is for things like... uh, Open rebellion also comes in the form of denying true doctrine. And so that's why we say that we we recognize Christians in true visible churches. And in those true visible churches, they can partake of the sacrament. We say, well, you only say Reformed and and, uh, Presbyterians here in this church. Are those the only two true churches? No. There are others. But our consistory, uh, with the consistory of other URCs, have said that is the safest, best thing to do given our culture today where people are moving around. To have that sort of requirement in addition to saying you must believe in real presence. If all of that's true, then you can participate in the sacrament. There are exceptions. If you come from another tradition or church, you can meet with the consistory. And if the consistory believes it's a true church, then you can partake of communion. The problem is today, and this is what causes so much ire, is that we move all the time. People are moving. There's no oversight uh, often of churches. And the church is given the authority to say, you must understand that person's confession in their life. Then they can commune. The Corinthian church, not just the individuals, the leaders of the church are in trouble for not doing that. So that is why we must do what's called fencing the table. And if we don't, if your leaders do not fence the table, watch out. God says he judges the whole congregation when it's not done rightly. That is why we're very careful and fastidious to do what we are called to do. Now again, it's not perfect, but given our circumstances and situation, we're doing the best that we can. But this is what God clearly calls the church to do because it is a sacred meal. It's not just having somebody over for a potluck. You have anybody over you want. But when you come to the Lord's table, there must be certain rules and boundaries set up. Well, finally, the effects of the Lord's Supper. The effects of the Lord's Supper means you grow in your faith and you are united more and more to the risen and exalted Christ. And so this is one of the great benefits of a sacred meal, not just an ordinary meal. And we get this idea from passages such as 1 Corinthians 12-13 that describes the body as united with one spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 15 and 16, in which growth and maturity and unity in the body or congregation of Christ comes through the ministry of the word and sacrament. And Paul goes on to say, we are to grow up in him in every way into him who is ahead into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a very close communion with one another because all have the Spirit of God to whom they are united. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verses 29 and 30, Paul says, For no one ever hated 
his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the church, or rather Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So clearly in these passages and others, um, they form the basis of the Heidelberg's um, words here in, in uh, answer 76. To participate in the supper is to be so united more and more to a sacred body by the Holy Spirit who dwells both in Christ and in us. And although he is in heaven and we are on the earth, we are nevertheless flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones and live and are governed forever by one spirit as members of the same body are by one soul. So now Christ is risen. He is at the right hand of the Father. His body is there. But somehow mystically we believe that in the supper you are united more and more to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we say that our union with Christ is intensified, is made more real, we become, become closer to Christ, we're more sanctified when we participate in the Lord's Supper. After all, we hear Jesus say in John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So participation in the Lord's Supper unites you more closely to Christ the vine. By his Holy Spirit he brings you into closer fellowship. Think of 1 Corinthians 10. Specifically this means you become more like Christ's perfect human nature or sacred body. You don't become Christ's human nature, but you become more like his. The Holy Spirit was given to Christ's human nature to sanctify it perfectly, so will your human nature be perfected in heaven on the final day. In conclusion, our simple definition for the Lord's Supper is this. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus feeds me with his true body and true blood by the power of the Holy Spirit through true faith. First, we understood the different views of the supper, the four different views. Second, we can understand that the reform view is the most biblical because it deals uh, most honestly and directly with the idea of real presence or spiritual presence in the sacrament, 1 Corinthians 11. And then finally, uh, three, the effects or participation in the supper is known by a closer union with Jesus Christ. And for that, we are grateful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.